oh, I'm not that guy. I'll see if I can find him. <laughs> How are you guys this morning? It's really a joy to be with you. Um, I don't know what you did to deserve Mark Spencer twice in a month, but here we go. I'm actually really, really excited about this series, What Makes a Disciple. I think that uh, we, we need to keep thinking about what does it really look like to be a Christ carrier. I appreciated Erica's exhortation, and um, I, I think there's probably nothing more important for us to think about. Jesus uh, gave us a clue. He said, you know, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. What's the marker? By your love. It, it's by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now think about that because normally when we hear that, we're like, oh, no, another sermon on love. And it feels so big because what Jesus is talking about is I want you guys to love one another, to love everyone you encounter in the same way that I've loved you. That's no big deal, right? But think about this for a moment. I mean, I think Jesus is giving us a clue because when we say, to, I love you, or I want to love you, what we're really saying is, I want to God you. I want to I do unto you as God would have me to do. I would like to, in some way, express the God who is in me towards you. But it feels so big. It, it, it's kind of like eating an elephant. How, where, how do we do this? What does it look like? And just like, you know, the common sense wisdom is, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. So I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, if we're going to talk about this marker of love, where do we start? How do we really practically dig into this? And I realize, you know, that even God starts small. Think about that. I mean, would it have been a problem for Father just to go, hey, world, bam, it's all there. But instead, he begins with light. And then there's that unfolding day after day, layer after layer. And then he doesn't go, okay, now just fill it with people. He starts with Adam and Eve. When he launches a nation, he starts with Abram and Sarah. When Jesus comes to restart the world, he starts with 12. Small beginnings are not to be despised. And so I don't think we should despise the small beginnings of what does it look like if you and I are going to be these disciples that love people in a way where they go, oh, there's something different about you. And so I thought, well, let's talk to the Apostle Paul. And I opened up 1 Corinthians and Love is patient. Can I get a hooray? hooray. We're going to really talk about this. Because patience is so important. It's so foundational. It's, it's everything that love is expressed through patience when you wait for someone in a way that demonstrates God in you. And it happens in so many different ways. A school teacher I know that works with young little kids. How many of you have either raised little kids, worked with little kids out there? And, and it's wintertime in Minnesota, which is, I mean, that's unbelievable when you got two-year-olds. You know, you suit them up, you take them, unsuit them, resuit them, get them back out. 
So this teacher is working with kindergartners. And they're supposed to get them all dressed and out for a recess time. And she sees this little boy who's struggling to get his boots on. Can you picture this? And he's pulling and pulling and he's sweating. And he's, ah, she's, ah, come on, I'll help you. And so she goes over and she starts to pull on the boot. It's really, really hard to get these boots on. She finally pops the one on, you know, and then she goes, I think I'm going to try this. She goes around behind him and grabs the other boot. Gets that one on. The little boy looks at the boots and goes, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. It gets better. It gets better. So she pulls them off, which is almost as hard as pulling them on. And then as she's pulling the second one on the right foot, he goes, well, teacher, these aren't my boots. She's like, oh, no. She goes, but they're my brothers. I was supposed to wear them. So, he, he, okay, okay. She, she gets it. Finally gets the boots on. The little boy stands up. And she goes, oh, where are your mittens? And he goes, oh, they're inside my boots stuffed up to the, two, the toe. <laughs> And that's when she said like this, Lord, give me patience, because if you give me strength, I'm going to need bail money. <laughs> right? That's what it's like when you're in this, this kind of moment. And we all have these moments, do we not? I mean, anywhere you go, you, you run into these moments. And, and we run into these verses where, you know, Paul writes, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's spiritual gifts. No. What are you supposed to make allowance for? False. you got to be kidding me. Why? Because of your love. There it is. And it's all tied together. And if we work on this and let the Spirit work this in, we can do better than spanky. Because this is kind of what we do when we're waiting for someone, right? We're like, Come on, come on. And I don't think that's exactly what Jesus had in mind. I remember when I first was married to Betsy. She's right there. And uh, we were so different. And, you know, and, and I'm a racer and she's a pacer. And I was working, and this is this will date me because it's when Wendy's came out with Frosties. Does anybody else like Frosties? I like Frosties. And like I was, I wasn't addicted to Frosties. I was just really into sampling them. And so I was at work and I was thinking about Frosties and I had Frosties on the brain. I get back, go for a run. Betsy comes back from work, which we make for dinner. So we make spaghetti for dinner. We sit down and I say, hey, what do you think about driving to Burnsville? We were living in Northfield. Get a Frosty. She said, sure, we could do that. I inhale my spaghetti like a space alien. <laughs> I eat it all up. I'm totally locked into Frosties now. I'm in a full Frosty mindset. I kind of push my plate around a little while. I'm tapping my toes. I go out the door to the car, start the car, tap on this thing. It's taking her so long. The Frosties are they're calling. The Frosties will melt if we don't get there. Where is she? Where is she? And it was one of these moments where, you know, those moments where all of a sudden, the Almighty kind of creeps into the car with you. Do you ever have these moments where, you know, you think you're completely out of his eyesight? And all of a sudden, God comes in the car, in a sense, and, and, and he says to me, he goes, Mark, you're proud. And I'm like, I'm not proud. <laughs> really? <laughs> you tell God, no, I'm not proud. Quiet. 
And then God says again, Mark, you're proud. And I'm like, no, Lord, you could ask a lot of my friends. There's a lot of things I am, but I don't think proud would be on there. Can't even hear myself, you know. And he goes, Mark, you're proud. I'm like, Lord, I'm not proud. He goes, you're proud because you think faster is better. I'm proud. <laughs> and I realized, you know, in the exercise of marriage and working together and being yoked together, waiting does not look like spanky, like, come on, the Frosties are waiting. There's a sense of being really moved by the Spirit of God in a way that you keep pace with God. And that that's the thing that catches people in today's world. I mean, isn't patience a rare commodity? Our whole traffic system is based on patience and self-control. How is it going today, people? How are we doing? And see, when people notice that you have this unique patience, they notice something of God in you. It's very unique because it's who God is. When Moses says, who are you? God says, I'll show you. He sticks him in the rock and then this, he passes by and says, the Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and gracious God, slow. Oh, oh, to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You see, on his calling card, it says, God, the Lord, slow to anger. Aren't you glad for that? I'm so glad. I mean, in that moment when I'm telling God that I'm not proud and he's trying to express to me that I am, that he's patient, that he works with me. And God demonstrates to us over and over again, he's got this incredibly long fuse. And he's saying that I want you to love one another in the way that I loved you, which is going to look like an incredibly long fuse. And so our working definition is that patience is the capacity to calmly put oneself on hold for the sake of another. That's what God's talking about. He's not talking about, come on, Betsy, the Frosties are calling. He's talking about a willingness, a capacity, an ability that I have to put myself on hold for you. It's a deep an obvious gesture of love when someone waits. In fact, there's a group of churches down in the southeastern sector of our country. Uh, you know, if I'd mentioned the church group, you would know about them. Uh, they account for about 25 to 30,000 believers at various sites down there. And they were going to do a, a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so they surveyed this group of people and they said, would you help us in the sermon series and would you answer some questions? And one of the key questions they asked is, you know, okay, there's these nine fruits of the Spirit. Which is the one that you crave the most, you want the most, you desire the most? What do you think they said? Love would be the one that I would have gone with. Maybe joy. I think in our world, maybe peace. 53% said patience. 53%. Now, keep in mind, this is not Silicon Valley in Southern California or out there where people are racing around in their Lamborghinis. This is the deep south where people talk real slow. How you do? And 53% say, I need patience. 
And the reality for all of us, as we go through life, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're at, we crave this pearl of patience, this, this thing that is crafted in us, this fruit of the Spirit. And when you think about an oyster and how a pearl is made, it's an amazing process. It's a great metaphor for what we're talking about this morning. You see, what an oyster needs, if it's going to make one of these beautiful pearls, is only two things. It needs an irritant, and it needs time. Because what happens when the irritant hits is that this piece of sand gets inside that shell, which has got the makeup. All of a sudden, my volume went up. Sorry about that. Um, and it goes into this interior that's soft. And it's kind of like the meniscus in your knee. And so when it gets in there, you can feel it great. And so it's irritating it. But what the oyster does in response is it secretes this thing called nacre, which is what forms the outside crusty shell. But on the inside, it doesn't crust. Instead, as it gets irritated over and over again, it, it, it applies another layer of this nacre. And eventually, thousands of these incredible thin layers of nacre that are lustrous and translucent produce this pearl over a period of about 20 years. And that pearl has a lot of value. It's said that the most potent of oysters might only produce two of those beautiful pearls in a lifetime. They need time and an irritant. Now the parallel is, for you and I to produce patience, we only need two things. Can you guess what they are? Yeah, an irritant and time. And your irritant might be sitting next to you right now. <laughs> if you don't have an irritant, I'm sure your friends have irritants that they would lend you. Now, think about this, though. How is it that that works that way? Why does it work that way? How does, does the oyster produce this all by himself? Did he come up with it in his laboratory? Did he somehow manufacture this out of his own strength and ingenuity? No. He was made by God to produce pearls. You and I are made by God to produce fruit. Namely, today, patience. So, the big question is how? How do we do it? How do we, how do we really cooperate with God in a way to do this? And I think there's three important elements for us to consider this morning if we're going to become more patient and therefore become more loving and therefore become marked as his disciples. And the first element I want you to think about with me is posture. How you posture yourself in your life is important. Because it has a direct impact on our capacity. You see, when you're impatient, what you've done is you've run to the end of yourself. Now, if you just stop there, you're posturing yourself on your limited resources. And what will you do? Ah! But there's a different posture. But you see, we feel it because we can wake up on a day and we don't even feel like we're all there. 
This is me on a Monday morning. On a good Monday morning with strong coffee, I'm about half there. And finally, I get myself together, but along comes a person who reminds me of oysters, if you get my drift. And, and, and they start to do what they do to produce pearls in Mark Spencer. But in order for me to be patient and to bear with, there's a part of me that has to be vested. I have to give part of me away. And you see, if I'm postured in just my limited, finite Mark Spencer resources, what will happen is I will feel a huge gap. And if that keeps happening over and over and over again, again like you young moms with kids that are circling you in the kitchen like, you know, they're going to tie you up and burn the house down. You finally feel like, I don't have anything left. And the reality is that, yes, in a sense, we are finite and we feel it in that moment. But the difference now is Christ in you, who is unlimited, who never runs out, who is always there, who is always strong, who is always able, who is always faithful, who is always supporting and strengthening you, who's always got grace, who's always got peace, always, always, always. And where do I posture myself? Where do I put myself? In Mark Spencer's little tiny resources? Or step over into the infinite power and resources of the living Lord who's not someplace out here where I have to dial his number. No, he's in here. And so when Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and, he, and he, before he gets to patience, he talks about love, joy, and peace. I think what he's doing is trying to get you to realize that the Spirit, when it comes in you, brings these things. You see, when I posture myself in God in that moment where someone is helping me become more pearl-like, if I really settle in the fact that God loves me, he really does. He doesn't just put up with me. He's wrote my name on his hand. I'm in his book. I'm always in his presence. And if I lean back for a moment in that infinite love, I can begin to say like King David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because I'm seated in his love. When I'm seated in his joy, in the, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And joy is that settled sense of, oh, who cares? God's got it. That's what the psalmist is talking about. When he walks in the house of the Lord, he's like, yeah. We might have enemies, but no one has God like we do. And there's a whole sense of settledness. And so Jesus tells his students before he goes, listen, listen to me. My joy I am now putting right down in you. And it's not as the world gives. No, because as the world gives, it could rot. It could fall apart. Someone could steal it. Mm. This is given by the Almighty, and when he inserts it in you, ah, 
It's kingdom come. Just try to tangle with that. In God's peace, shalom, the world as it should be, his creation and the creator together, joined inseparably, never to be torn apart, in his love, wrapped in joy. Ah! It's just like the priestly prayer that I could be one, even as he and the Father are one. I've got a seat, in a sense, with the Trinity. Oh! That posture enables me to welcome the irritants. I have a new Statue of Liberty in my office. Lord, send me your irritants. <laughs> and together in your love, joy, and peace, we will have many pearls. Do you see the difference? This is why the psalmist says, I can be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Not for what Mark Spencer thinks he needs or wants, but because Mark Spencer has repositioned himself and when I sit down in this chair and I settle into his love, I'm aware of his joy and his peace. I have a new perspective. I have a new capacity. I see the person like God sees them. I see the situation like he sees it. And I embrace it. And even more than that, you get to the second element, which is very critical. You get power. You have now tapped into the infinite, unlimited, unchangeable, irresistible power of God. You see, the goal of this is not the fruit of Mark Spencer. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's his power in me. And I'm surprised at how many Christians will, they'll spend time reading their Bible, doing their best to pray, but they have this devotion over here, and then they go to work, and they, they're not walking in that. They're walking in panic. They're walking in hurry. They're walking in fear. They're walking in confusion. Walk with him. This is why Paul has these verses. May he equip you with all you need during his will. May he produce in you. Who produces it in you? He does. Through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing. God's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's why I struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power. You see, you don't try to be patient. You cooperate with it. Is the Holy Spirit in you people? Not a rhetorical question. I'm interviewing you now. Yes, he's in you. Is the Holy Spirit patient? Yes. Is he really patient? Is he more patient than you? If you rely on him, what do you think could happen? More patience. You see, that's why Paul is saying, I depend on Christ's mighty power. I'm, I'm, I'm posturing in a way where I connect with the power so I can partner in that moment. I can't, he can. He will. And every single moment, you encounter something that causes you to become a little unsettled, a little bit more stirred, a little what you could call impatient, is an opportunity to do the third element practice. Because when I run out of me, I can run into him. 
I can trust him. I can let him. I can follow him. I'm not going to run away from the irritant. I'm going to embrace it as a potential pearl, as something that God is going to grow in me. And I'm recognizing in that moment that I can, he can. I can recognize he's in there. And there is a way. And I need to practice that with my posture, with relying on his power, and doing my best to follow him. Which is why Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, I urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with just a select few. No. Everyone. Yep. Even Aunt Melba. Gotta be patient. And the beautiful thing is that wherever there's a command in Scripture, there's attached to it grace. As I step into it, grace follows. It's a possibility. But it all depends on my posture, my willingness to partner with his power and to practice what he tells me to do. Now, just so you don't go away thinking that this is some magnificent moment that only happens once or twice in a lifetime. I think you get it's not. It's a daily practice. I want to close with a story. Probably one of my favorites. Story of patience practiced by a cab driver from New York City. Can you imagine that? He tells a story about one of his days. He says, I arrived at this address and I Honk the horn. And I waited a few minutes. That's pretty good for a New York cabbie. Then I honked again. That's New York. Since it was going to be the last ride of my shift, I thought I would, I, maybe I should just drive off. But I felt I should stay. Something told me to stay. That's posture. So instead, I put the car in park and I walked up to the door and I knocked. And I knocked again. How's he doing in the patience department, people? Knocks again. Finally, he hears this little voice. Wait a minute, I'm coming. And he can hear footsteps and something being dragged along the floor. So he gets a little nervous, steps back from the door. And when it opens, there's this little 90-something-year-old woman standing before him, dragging a suitcase. She had a print dress on and a pillbox hat. He said it looked like something right out of a 1940s movie. There by her side was this nylon suitcase. And then I looked up and around and in the apartment, it looked like no one's lived there for years. All the furniture was covered in sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks. There was nothing on the counters. There was just this one cardboard box in the corner that was filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car? The cabbie says, I took the suitcase. I offered her my arm, which she took. And together we slowly walked to the curb. And she kept thanking me for my kindness. And I said, it's nothing, lady. 
I just try to treat my passengers the way I would my own mom. She looked up past that little hat and said, oh, you're such a good boy. <laughs> when we got in the cab, she gave me the address of where she wanted to go, but she stopped me short and she said, could you drive through downtown, please? It's not the shortest way, I said. Oh, I, I don't mind. You see, I'm in no hurry. I'm actually headed to hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she said. The doctor says, I really don't have long. The cabbie reached over and shut off the meter. What route do you want me to take, lady? For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she worked as an elevator operator. We drove to a neighborhood where she and her husband had lived as newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of this warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had danced as a little girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow down in front of a particular building or block. She would just look out the window as if staring into space. Suddenly she said, I, I, I'm tired. Can we go now? I said, sure. To the address? Yes, please. When they pulled into orderlies, immediately came out. They'd been waiting for her. They were impatient and aloof. I opened the trunk and started to get her suitcase. And when I came back out, she was already in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked. Nothing, I said. Oh, you have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers. And almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. She said, you gave an old woman a little moment of joy. Thank you. Thank you. I squeezed her hand, took a breath, spun around, walked back to my cab. When I heard the door shut, I realized it was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, thinking, could hardly talk. I wondered, what if that woman had gotten an angry driver? What if whoever went to pick her up was impatient and didn't wait? What if the driver was in the middle of their shift and said, no, I can't take you all over town for two hours? What if? And then I realized, in a quick glance, I don't think I've ever done anything more important in my life than what I just did. I gave a little lady a slice of patience, which gave her life. Great moments often come to us beautifully wrapped in inconvenience. calling for pearls of patience. What do you say, people? Do you think if we practice that, they might see something of Jesus in us? Pray with me.
Lord, we lean into this because we all have our little sayings. They're like, oh, never pray for patience. <laughs> Even talking about this morning, I felt some people like, oh, do you think I could leave in an inconspicuous way? But I think when I visit this story, so oftentimes I just hear such beautiful things, such love, such life. And I think about you on your gospel parade, and I think about all the times where people came to you and said, can you come to my house? Can you heal my daughter? Can you, can you, can you? And in an incredible demonstration of infinite patience, you would just spin the whole parade around and go. How could we begin to think that we're not asked to do the same? And if we do, what a parade that would be. So as we go from this place, we'll get on the roads where we've got to practice patience. We might go to restaurants where we'll stand in line and we've got to practice patience. We might have a server who bugs us and we get to make pearls. But Lord, remind us, the Spirit's in us, we know he's patient. Help us to reposture ourselves in a way that connects us with your power and enables us to practice your kind of patience. And then they'll know we're yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark, for that message. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you don't know when we have